Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Unbothered. Josh here, and I'm glad to be back. I know I had the week off for vacation, and then I got sick, and then I'm just getting back to normal with work and all that. But I'm happy to be here. Another episode of Unbothered. A lot happened since I've been out. Tampa Bay hasn't won a game, so that is telling. I needed to do a podcast after Tom Brady dropped three straight. So I'm at three and two. Now he's three and five. What's going on here? Eric Rodgers hasn't won a game since I've done a podcast. Uh, interesting times. But we've got a great show today. Eagles-Texans Thursday night football tonight. Can the Eagles stay undefeated tonight in Houston? Trade deadline is over. Packers didn't make a move, but some other teams did. How do they line up now moving forward towards the second half of the season? Then I react to the college football playoff rankings and what I thought was an absolute joke of an hour of my life that I wasted listening to Boo, the chairman. Uh, Last time I checked, I thought Boo was the kid from Monsters, Inc., not this dude who doesn't know what he's talking about, who doesn't watch football at all. Uh, Tell me why Clemson's number four. And then the Nets firing Steve Nash as well. So there's a lot to get into. I'm looking forward to it. Let's start with tonight, Thursday Night Football, Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans. You know, I usually don't put a lot on color schemes or what teams do or where, but Houston tonight is breaking out their nice red alternate helmet look, probably debuting with the red jerseys. I think it's going to look very good tonight. I think the Houston fans are going to be out tonight as well. Very interesting that tonight's Thursday night football game, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Houston Texans, this game here tonight, is a mirror of the World Series going on right now with the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. Game 5 is in Philadelphia tonight. The Thursday night football game is in Houston. I expect a lot of Houston fans to be out, to be rowdy, maybe even wearing their Astro gear at the game today. Jalen Hurts is from Houston, from the Houston area. He's going back home. How emotional is this going to be for Jalen Hurts, or is this going to be business as usual? Because these first seven games, Philadelphia has been Absolutely great, Uh, just in all aspects of the game. Uh, They scored 28 points per game, which is, you know, top five. Uh, They only allow 17 points per game. They're very balanced with the football as well. Uh, The team has thrown for 1,700 passing yards. They rushed for over 1,000 yards so far. Again, very balanced football team and a lot of dominating efforts outside of that first week against the Detroit Lions where they're going to come back and forth. They've been very impressive. Vikings, their only loss is to the Philadelphia Eagles. Cowboys, 
only a couple losses. Philly, dominating performance there. Last week, dominating performance against an in-state rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And their other wins have been impressive, too, against the Jaguars, against the Cardinals. So they're 7-0. That's nothing to scoff at here. But what I did, what I was telling my uh, family as well, is, you know, last year, Thursday night football game, you had the 7-0 and Cardinals going up against the 6-1 and Packers. Cardinals were the only undefeated top team at the time. Thursday night football, upset by the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers were dealing with COVID, had no Devontae Adams or any of their stars, but Aaron Rodgers got it done. Philadelphia and Houston. Can Houston pull off this upset? I'm not giving it any chance, no. Uh, I like Philadelphia uh, to win this game. To me, they are just too good uh, from top to bottom. Offensively and defensively, I like this team a lot. Uh, I don't think Jalen Hurts is an exceptional quarterback, but you can definitely win with him. He's one of those ultimate game managers. Reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson in his early years with Seattle, where he's making plays when he needs to, but the key is he's not turning the football over. Uh, Only two interceptions. On the year, they're very good at protecting the football. And they also have, I think, 14 takeaways, uh, which is either the most or tied for the most. So this Philadelphia team is winning the turnover differential. Darius Slay has been locked down this year. They made a big addition at the trade deadline, a big swing, in getting Robert Quinn from the Chicago Bears to bolster this pass rush. I like that move a lot. It shows me that Philadelphia is ready to win not win now. They're on a cheap quarterback deal with Jalen Hurts. He's not making a ton of money right down that rookie contract, but they have enough pieces to round him to win games. Any other quarterback in the league would love to have this situation. Best offensive line in the league. Great one-two punch with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Dallas Goddard is a security blanket. Miles Sanders is effective running the football. And then on defense, like I said, they got the Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. They just got acquired Robert Quinn. And then the back, the secondary has been great. Gardner Johnson, uh, Bradbury, Darius Slay. This is a very sound, well-coached football team. And I think it's going to be too much for Houston. I like what I've seen with Davis Mills, but he's been too inconsistent. Turns the ball over too much. I think Damian Pierce... A great running back uh, in Brandon Cooks is obviously not happy after the tra- trade deadline has come and passed, and he's still on. The Houston Texans, I think he wanted uh, to get out of there. Um, that's not the case. Uh, he's also questionable to play tonight. Uh, who knows if he even suits up and plays. So I think Philly's going to go into this game and win. I expect it to be handily. I don't know if it's the 13 and a half points that they cover, but I do expect this to be a 10 plus point win. I like Philly uh, to beat the Eagles to continue their unbeaten streak uh, and go uh, 8-0 to start the season. Definitely think they can do that. Now I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Didn't make a move of the trade deadline. They were outbid for Chase Claypool. 
And I'm totally fine with it. The Bears got Chase Claypool. They traded the second-round pick uh, to the uh, – what's it called? Uh, the second-round pick to the Chicago – the Steelers got a second-round pick, yes, from the Bears uh, for Chase Claypool. I'm totally fine with the Packers not making the move. I don't see – you know, we talked about – the Packers getting a veteran wide receiver, good wide receiver. I don't think Chase Claypool's a difference maker. I just don't. His tape doesn't jump off at me when I watch Chase Claypool on the Steelers' offense. I like Deontay Johnson more, and I like George Pickens more than Chase Claypool. I do. I don't think Chase Claypool is that difference maker for this offense. Personally, I'd rather have Odell. Then Chase Claypool, even coming off a major surgery with his ACL, even if it's December and if the Packers are seriously in the running, and if I have had to decide, hey, do we trade a pick for Chase Claypool and give up on OBJ, or do we try to put it on OBJ if we get some things figured out? I'd rather go after OBJ myself. So the Packers, usually a conservative team at the trade deadline, don't make a ton of moves. I'm fine with them. Not giving up a pick for Chase Claypool, especially a second rounder when you can go in to the second round and get a Chase, get a Chase Claypool or another uh, wide receiver who could possibly be better than Chase Claypool. But with that, Aaron Rodgers says it's time to win with what they've got. I agree, Aaron. It is time to start winning. What happened to you, man? You're 3-5. and five. You've dropped four in a row. You have the same record as the Chicago Bears in your division. You've let Minnesota take a big division lead on you by four games, and they have a tiebreaker right now unless you beat them later in the year. Yes, Aaron, I agree. It is time to start winning some football games. But I am encouraged from what I saw by the Green Bay Packers against that loss in the Bills. I like the energy more. Aaron Rodgers was clear about that as well. He said he liked the energy of the team before the game, even in a loss. To me, they just got too far behind with the Bills. The Bills are great at getting a big lead and just playing with that lead, hanging on to it, uh, making you feel uncomfortable, and that's what they did. But to me, the Packers did some great things in that game against the Bills. I really like their ability to run that football. And that's something we haven't seen yet on the Bills. We thought with this revamped defensive line, the guys they can rotate, Jordan Phillips and Oliver, that, hey, you can't really run on them. And we haven't really been able to see a team run on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, The Ravens couldn't run on the Bills. Derrick Henry and the Titans couldn't run on the Bills. Not a lot of teams could run on the Bills. But the Packers found major success running on the Bills. Aaron Jones had 20 carries for 143 yards against the Bills. Overall, the uh, Packers had 208 yards rushing. To the Bills, 153. The 
Packers had more yards rushing than they did throwing 208 to 190. And the Packers were only eight yards shy of Josh Allen's passing yards, 216 to the Packers, 208 yards rushing. The Packers, to me, found something in that game with the way they were pushing and pulling with their offensive linemen because this offensive line could not pass protect, really, to save Aaron Rodgers' life. It was rough. They got a a few times Aaron Rodgers got loose and made some good throws. But the key was running the football. Aaron Jones was like clockwork, seven yards, a carry there, uh, a lot of 32. It looked like, it felt like he was picking up a first down every single time he touched the football. A.J. Dillon, five yards a carry. Felt like every time it was first and ten, it went to second and five, first down. They were able to run the ball really effectively a lot with their pull schemes, a lot of power running, which I like to see. And that the way the Packers were able to do that so effectively against a good Buffalo defense, and then it opened up the play-action passing, the great touchdown to, to Dobbs, and then another one, I think, to Tor, Torre. Uh, I mean, it was sensational, uh, that second half. If the Packers were to have played that second half into the first half, they would have won that game. I think the Packers, their energy, they found a way to win games. They found something to click at least offensively. Defensively, leave a lot to be desired. Uh, the covering isn't great. Can't really stop a run uh, as effectively as I thought they could. Don't really pressure the quarterback without Rashawn Gary. So defensively, they leave a lot to be desired, and I thought this was going to be a top five, top ten defensive unit, and they're not playing the part. But offensively, if they can sustain drives running the football like they did, then I think the defense will pick up some of that slack, and they'll start playing very well. I really like what the Packers did. Reminded me a lot of just watching San Francisco 49ers and their power running game. The way tackles and guards were pulling out, blocking down the field for Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, great runner, but he had great vision, uh, was able to find the holes and just plow right through them. I mean, that, it looked great. To me, if the Packers can do that, that's interesting. They can make a run now with their team if they continue. What did Aaron Rodgers also say after the game? We just need one win. One win to get right. And then, hey, maybe we can do something. A few years ago, I think it was five, six years ago, Packers were four and six. Aaron Rodgers said, let's run the table. They finished ten and six, go to the NFC Championship game. Of course, they lose because that's what they do. But the more of a story is they've won six games to finish the season. And they were right there. Very similar, four and six. They're now three and five. Hey, they have a couple of get right games. They play against the Lions. Lions, I'm sorry, I know it's in Detroit. I know Detroit can score. But if the Packers follow their second half recipe, Aaron Jones will have a field day on the Detroit Lions. Then they go against the Packers, and guess what? It's in Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers has historically owned the Dallas Cowboys. This wouldn't be one that surprises me if Green Bay, home underdog, upsets the Dallas Cowboys. 
Aaron Rodgers makes a snarky comment, you know, post-game, there you go. Then they get a Thursday night against the Titans uh, in Lambeau Field. Titans aren't great by any stretch of the imagination. Packers could beat them. Before you know it, hey, that's three straight, that's six and five. Then after that, they play the Eagles. That could be a relatively tough game Sunday night in Philly. That could be one that, you know, gives them fits. But then after that, hey, more get-right games. You play the Bears. Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. Play the Packers and Lambeau. John McVay's had a tough time going there, winning the football game. I could see the Packers winning that one. Packers-Dolphins, Vikings-Packers, rematch in Green Bay later in the season. Watch out. And then Lions-Packers finish up in uh, Pack City. 11-6. and six. To me, it's not far off the Green Bay Packers losing one game the rest of the season. It's not. I could see it. I could see them possibly losing two. Going 10-7, and seven, to me, that's more realistic. Uh, but I do think this Packers team, they found something that they can build off of. Guess what? Their losses have been close. Uh, that Packers-Bills second half was competitive. The Commanders was two points. Yes, they got blown out by the Jets. Uh, and then, you know, a five-point loss in London to the, uh, to the uh, Giants. I think the Packers are going to be all right. Hate to say it. But I do think the Packers not making moves are going to be just fine. You have everybody effectively right now piling on the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's let's not talk about Buffalo, how explosive they look six and one, Kansas City at five and two, Philly at seven and zero. What uh, the majority of news that I read, sports media, it's blasting Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for three and five, and the same thing, blasting Tom Brady and Tampa Bay for three and five. But guess what? Schedules easing up for Aaron Rodgers. Guess what? I feel confident with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Uh, Tom Brady has went through a divorce, and that is. Obviously, I think, affected him, his play. You know, he says all the right things in his press conferences, uh, media sessions. But you can tell it's it's taken a toll on him. Uh, maybe with it being finalized now, he can b- get back uh, to playing a little better, uh, a little more chemistry uh, with him and his uh, teammates. We'll see. I don't know to me. Tom is still making some great throws. It's not like his arm has deteriorated or anything like that. To me, the biggest concern with the Bucks, more than Tom Brady, if you can believe it, is their defense. Yes, what was once their calling card, the Tampa Bay defense, has suddenly dropped early in the season, first four games, quarter of the season. Top five defense. Guess what? We're almost halfway through the season. They've fallen outside the top ten. Uh, they have their defense. It hasn't looked great, especially in terms of teams rushing on them. Now all of a sudden you can run on them. Uh, they started off here, I think, 67 yards. Uh, now they're allowing 130 rushing yards a game. That's terrible. Uh, I thought the rush defense was going to be elite. 
that's not been the case. You can run on this defense. Much like I thought Green Bay, Green Bay's allowing 141 yards. I mean, you can't have that. Never did I thought that the Tampa Bay's pass defense was going to be better than the rush defense this year. Their pass defense, top 10, top 7, right there, right outside the top 5, I think at number 6, 194 passing yards. One of the few teams who don't allow 200 passing yards. Why is that? You can run the ball. Guess what? They still don't allow a ton of points. It's like they're six in pass yards and points of scored, points allowed. Uh, but the rush, that's what they need to tighten up, really. Uh, I think once they get Akeem Hicks back, that'll be huge. Him and Vita Vea uh, down there. Devin White, uh, please play a little better. You were NFC Defensive Player of a Month in September. October, you there could be a case where you would be worst NFC Defensive Player of the Month. So, that can't be that drastic. Yes, they've dealt with injuries, but again, their schedule is ahead of them. Tom Brady, we got to roll with what we got. Today, he said you either got to back off from the challenge or step up to the challenge again. Unfamiliar territory, but guess what? They play, play the Rams this weekend. Historically tough opponent for Tom Brady with the Bucks. Haven't had any ounce of success. But guess what? Yes, the Bucks uh, are hurt, but they have their many by 10 days off. They're feeling a little better. And guess what? Cooper Cup, ankle swelling, hasn't practiced at all this week. Sean McKay said he's going to play, but how effective will he play with that ankle injury? We'll see. Then they play the Seahawks in Germany. I expect a lot of Bucks fans, a lot of Tom Brady fans to show up. Neutral site game. Bucks can get a win. Then they have their bye week. Then they play a Deshaun-less Browns team, but they can run the football well. That's where I need that Bucks defense to stop the run a bit better. They play the Saints. They finally got a win against. It's Monday night. The Saints defense looks good, but that team is hot and cold. Niners again, predicated on Jimmy G. You have a game this past week where he almost has a perfect passer rating, great completion percentage against the Rams. But the week before, he looks like a JV player against the Chiefs. Which Jimmy G are you going to get? Then they play the Bengals. Jamar Chase should be back by then, but it's in Tampa. Very good game. Then Cardinals, who are absolute shambles as well. On Christmas, the Panthers, hopefully they don't lose to them again. And then the Falcons again, who Tom Brady hasn't lost to. So again, this is a team I could see being 11-6. and six. Probably going to be ten and seven. Uh, I don't think they're going to be, you know, eight and nine. Be a playoff team that has lost more games than they won. I expect the Bucks to bounce back and play a little better. Another team that didn't make any moves, but I do expect them uh, to play better than they've been. Now, with that being said. Two teams that didn't make moves. Who is the winner of the trade deadline? To me, that's very easy. The winner of the trade deadline so far from what I've seen, even though this wasn't a day of deadline move, it was close enough to the vicinity. And that was the San Francisco 49ers trading for Christian McCaffrey. And I think it was like a second, third, fourth round pick. The equivalent of a pick they sent were a late 
first round pick. I think that's a great move. Tremendous move. Christian McCaffrey, not a ton of action against the 49ers. Not acclimated with the system. First, you know, to me, full practice week with the Niners. What does he do? Have a trifecta against the Los Angeles Rams. Throws a passing touchdown. Catches a touchdown. And runs for a touchdown in the same game. Truly brilliant. Now they have a bye week to get healthier. Debo Samuel, who was out against the Rams, he's coming back. This defense can get healthier. Christian McCaffrey, to me, is the biggest move. Yes, Robert Quinn, I think, to the Eagles is a good move. The Chase Claypool move is good. But none of those were big stars, uh, home run hitters. The 49ers move, that was a home run type of move. That was a win now, put all our chips in the middle of a table. This We're exhausting Jimmy G to the limit this time. He's taken us, and guess what? We're going to ride or die with Jimmy G. He's going to play his heart out the next half of the season, and we're going to see what we're going to do. They're 4-4. Four and four. I expect the 49ers <laughs> excuse me, to, make, uh, to win a lot of games. Uh, coming out of the bye, they have the Chargers in San Francisco. Again, I expect 49ers to win that one. To me, the Chargers haven't been as strong as I thought they would. Keenan Allen dealing with a hamstring injury. Uh, they sidelined him quite a bit. Uh, Justin Herbert, since week two, has been dealing with a rib injury. Uh, the defense hasn't been as good. J.C. Jackson out for the year. Uh, Joey Bosa out for extended period of time. So with those injuries, the Chargers haven't looked that good. 49ers can win that one. I expect the 49ers to rebound against the Cardinals, a game in Mexico City. 49ers to win, 49ers Saints. Good game, I think, can go the 49ers way. Dolphins 49ers, Kyle Shanahan's protege, Mike McDaniel, going up against him. In San Francisco, how does he fare? Then again, Tom Brady. Then at Seattle, which could possibly be a division game, because I believe I'm saying that. Uh, then the Commanders, Raiders who absolutely disappointed me more than any other team has disappointed me. And then lastly, against the Cardinals. So again, this is a team I could realistically say uh, going 11-6. and six. Uh, Two more losses to finish up the season. Uh, to me, Kyle Shanahan's team definitely finished stronger than they began. Uh, and I definitely see the 49ers, like the Packers, like the Bucks, saying, hey, it's not over yet. You can talk all this hype about the Eagles being 7-0, and the Dallas Cowboys being 6-2, and but hey, if I'm the 49ers, I'm fine where I'm at because, hey, past few times I've, my team's been healthy, and a few championship games, Super Bowl, team with the Bucks, championship games, Super Bowls, Packers, championship games. So let's hold the brakes here. Second half of the season. It's going to be interesting for sure. 49ers, clear winner of the trade deadline. Traded off Jeff Wilson. Got Christian McCaffrey. Elijah Mitchell come back. Uh, that'll help, you know, ease the workload off of McCaffrey a bit so he's not a, a bell cow three down type back. You can definitely use him. Majority of the snaps. 
But once you get Elijah Mitchell in there a bit more, uh, help balance out for running backs a bit more and uh, make sure Christian McCaffrey doesn't get banged up uh, so you can get what you want out of him. Now moving to college football. All the rankings threw me for a big loop on Tuesday night. Uh, it's like just kind of going down the rankings and I'll go down uh, with you guys. I was very, uh, very shocked at what I saw. You know, I'm, I was, you know, you know, basically even 15, you know, 16 to 25, I'm fine with the Illinois, North Carolina, Tulane. It's like, how good are these guys? But hey, they're one lot. Let's keep them there. Penn State, you know, 15, I'm fine with that. Uh, to me, you know, I'm just going to compare two lost teams here. I was very bamboozled boggled that LSU is the highest 6-2 and two team and Utah was below them and Kansas State at 6-2. and two. To me, there are some things that just don't make sense based on the committee uh, at all that I just uh, don't like it's that LSU is six and two. Uh, they lost to Tennessee and Florida State. They just beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss is eight and one. LSU six and two. Honestly, I'd be fine with Ole Miss and LSU because guess what? Ole Miss has an extra win. Uh, they played more games. Yes, LSU holds a head-to-head uh, matchup that just happened. But hey. Ole Miss has been the better team the majority of the season. But they put LSU a 6-2 and two team ahead of them tiebreak. They honor that. They don't honor the Utah-USC one, which I find very odd. Utah beat USC. However, USC is number 9 and Utah is 14. And if you're going to do this, at least make it convincingly. For example, Utah beat USC. And UCLA beat Utah. That must mean I have to put UCLA ahead of U- uh, ahead of USC. But instead, USC is above UCLA and Utah. To me, it's minor discrepancies that just don't make sense. And it shows that there are cracks in the committee's ranking. Again, when you have somebody like Boo tell me about the decisions that they made, it's very hard to take the guy seriously. It is. Uh, it doesn't even look like he's watched an ounce of film or game at all. It's just, let's honor these resumes. Oh, for example, Clemson's ahead of Michigan at four and TCU. Guess what I did? I decided to. Shake up Syracuse, Wake Forest, North Carolina State, all at the bottom of the top 25. So I can put Clemson at four. So I can say that three top 25 wins, 
Clemson's a national blue blood that's represented college football well. I'm putting them four. I got to put Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson in there. Got to put Alabama at six. Can't leave them that far behind, even though they shouldn't be. Because what does the stats tell me? Other than what you predicate on top 25 wins. Because to me, it's an absolute joke. I predicate it based off stats. Let's go on offensive stats. Let's talk about who's better offensively. Michigan is better offensively than Clemson. And that's just the facts, and it really isn't relatively close. TCU, Michigan are better offensively than Clemson. TCU has 518 yards per game. They're one of nine teams who average 500-plus yards a game. TCU, Michigan, 470 yards per game. Clemson, 421 yards per game. Pretty pathetic there. Now defensively, let's look at it. Michigan is the third best defensive team in the country. To me, I got Illinois 1, Georgia 2, Michigan 3. Michigan allows 250 yards per game, third best in the league. 11.5 points per game, third best in the league. Clemson, 332 yards per game. That's 80 more than Michigan. And points, 20, which is 8 more than Michigan. So they allow around 80 more points and about a touchdown and two-point conversion more than Michigan. So the stats tell me that, guess what? Michigan's better than Clemson, both offensively and defensively. TCU is better than Clemson offensively, albeit not defensively. So you have that going. And then let's look at the resume, the resume itself. Strength of schedule. TCU 63, Clemson 72, Michigan 80. So you got TCU at 63 there. Clemson 72, Michigan 80. So TCU, better strength of schedule. Can't deny that uh, right there. You look at the remaining strength of schedule. TCU definitely has a harder schedule to finish up. Uh, there's remaining strength of schedule. It's uh, 11. They play teams like Texas Tech, winning record. T Texas, winning record. Baylor, winning record. Clemson, doesn't have that difficult of a finishing schedule. Notre Dame will be a tough test. Clem Louisville hasn't looked that good. Miami, South Carolina just had an ugly loss. And Michigan. Michigan has one of the most difficult remaining schedules there and ranks 10th. They play Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, who's 7-1, and one, and then Ohio State, who's number 2, and is 8-0. So you have that. But then you look at the efficiencies as well. Michigan is the fifth most efficient team in college football. Clemson isn't one of the four ahead of them. It's Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. Michigan's offensive rank is number 12. 
Their defensive rank is number 12. TCU's is 6, offensive rank, 41 defensively. Clemson, offensively, is 20. 20. Their defense is 26. So, TCU, better efficiently, better resume, and Clemson's ahead of them. Michigan, better than them stat-wise, you know, offensively, defensively. Yes, has a worse strength of schedule, but Michigan's had dominating wins. Every win I have, it been like, they could possibly lose this one. It's soundly Michigan State, soundly against Penn State, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland was the only one-score game. Not that difficult. TCU, 10 points against West Virginia, 10 points against Kansas State. Great win against TC, or against Oklahoma State and Kansas. Smoked Oklahoma rest of their opponents. Clemson, what does the eye test tell me? I watched him. Oh, they had a bench their star quarterback, DJ Uagalele. They had to bench him against Syracuse to rally to win that game. Oh, Florida State. Florida State only managed to get like 480 yards offensively on Clemson, and which was a six-point game. Didn't handle them very thoroughly. Yeah, North, North Carolina State, good win. They won by 10. Wake Forest went to double overtime. And you want to talk about Michigan's non-conference schedule? Oh, guess what? Clemson's it's Furman? Never heard of them. Louisiana Tech, and then South Carolina to finish the season. Uh, yes, if Michigan had that same non-conference schedule, guess what? They would be undefeated. Uh, don't tell me that Colorado, Hawaii, and Utah are any worse than those three non-conference opponents. That Clemson play. And the Big Ten East is stronger than uh, the ACC division. It just is. I think if Penn State and Clemson were to play on neutral fields, Penn State would win that game. To me, Penn State, they had their way with Ohio State. They looked really good against Ohio State, and then they self-imploded middle of the fourth quarter there and looked terrible after their little self-implosion where they stopped playing defense. Uh, Sean Clifford, bad mistakes. They just self-imposed and destroyed themselves right there. But Penn State, to me, neutral field, would beat Clemson. I don't get how Clemson is number four. Ahead of Michigan, Alabama, or TCU. I just don't get it to me. Uh, It makes no sense to me. Uh, It shows to me a few things that this committee revealed that really don't know anything. It's that they want the SEC to really represent. Why is that? Uh, Why? Because there's only like five teams in the top 11 there. They're trying to get three, I mean, six teams in the top 11 there. Uh, No, it's five. Uh, They want as many teams in the college football playoff rankings as they can. They would probably like three SEC teams in there. You've got Tennessee. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, all in the top 11. And three of them could potentially make it. Winner of Tennessee, Georgia, goes on to the SEC championship game. Let's say loses to either one of 
Alabama, Ole Miss, or LSU. How are you going to keep any of those teams out that won the SEC over Tennessee and Georgia? So then that team would be in. But then how do you keep the team that lost in? Let's say it's Georgia. That's 12-1. and one. How do you keep them out? Let's see Tennessee. They're 11-1. and They have a great one against Alabama. You can you keep three of those teams out? It's Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State battling for that spot. Of course, the winner will play out, so it's Michigan, Clemson, or Ohio State, Clemson. To me, it's all a facade. It's a joke. This committee is an absolute joke, uh, the way they rank it. Personally, I think they should go back to the BCS rankings, where it was computer simulated and made tally things. Uh, there's not really much time I trust a computer over a person. I like the person to kind of make decisions over the computer. But in terms of college football, I'd rather have the computer make decisions on teams uh, than these deeply flawed individuals and systems that they have. So without any ado, these are my top 10 teams. If I was in the committee, if I had to put my ballot in for my top 10 teams, this is how I would do it. 10, the Utah Utes. Two losses, albeit very tough losses. One in the swamp, first game of the season. You don't know how that's going to go. Then another one, tough place to play, UCLA, the Bruins. But other than that, great win against USC and another great win against Oregon State as well. So they have a good resume. Two top 25 wins right there. Utah's looked very good. And they just beat Washington State without their quarterback Cameron Rising. I like Utah at 10. Number nine, the UCLA Bruins. They're also playing really good. Guess what? They have a win over Utah. I've got to respect that win there. Uh, their quarterback has been absolutely uh, phenomenal. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, Zach Charbonnet, great running back. So UCLA, I'd have it nine. They're playing good. Two, my, so Utah be my highest two-loss team. UCLA in there at nine. Eight, Oregon Ducks. I think Oregon, terrible loss to open the season against Georgia. Didn't even look like they showed up. But since then, to me, have been really dominant outside of a shaky winning at Washington State. Outside of that, they've been dominant. BYU dominated them. Stanford dominant. Arizona dominant. UCLA, who's my number nine team, hammered them. And then they just beat California. So Oregon has looked really good. They're eight. Seven, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Guess what? Alabama's been very shaky this year. Yes, the loss to Tennessee. Tennessee's been great. A bunch of bad penalties in that game by Alabama uh, that they shouldn't have taken uh, to even be that close. So they have a loss to Tennessee. They could have lost to Texas A&M as well. Last play of the game, it's basically a two-point conversion play to win the game, and it's one of the worst plays I've ever seen run down there. Uh, They barely squeaked by Texas A&M, and that was in Alabama. And then Texas. They beat Texas by a point because their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, was knocked out of the game, and Texas missed a cheap shot field goal. So... Alabama has squeaked by 
and their wins haven't been impressive so far this season. That's why they're seven. Six, the Clemson Tigers. There you go, Clemson. That's where you should be. Like I said, not a lot of great wins, a lot of close wins. And they're yes against teams that I sort of respect. And Syracuse, really, you had to come back and win against them. And Notre Dame just slapped them. Uh, Wake Forest, double overtime. Uh, Florida State outgained you. So Clemson hasn't looked good. I put them there. TCU is at five. I've talked a lot about TCU. Potent offense. Duggan has been great at quarterback for them. I have them at number five. Uh, number four, the Michigan Wolverines. Yes, I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan. That doesn't mean I'm Michigan Wolverine homer or biased, always putting them at one. But I do think Michigan has been very dominant in their wins. Great offense, great defense, balanced team running the football. Guess what? They have a Heisman candidate in Blake Corum. I'm sorry, but I call it how I see it in Blake Corum has been absolutely phenomenal. Fifth in rushing yards, leads the league in touchdowns uh, outside of the quarterback there for running back. He's been fantastic. Highest-rated running back by pro football focus. Blake Corum has been phenomenal. I put them at four. And then this is where some of the separation hits at. Ohio State, I put it three. Uh, They probably would have been much higher of that game against Penn State was closer than, you know, the 13-point indicator put there at the end. It was really a self-implosion by Penn State. Uh, Ohio State really hasn't had a great schedule either, uh, but their offense has been terrific. One of the best offenses, I put Ohio State at three. Georgia, I put it two. Again, one of the best defenses, second-best defense. Offense has been very underrated. Stetson Bennett to Brett Bowers. They've been good. And, you know, we want to talk about the close game to Missouri, you know. But outside of that, none of their games have really been close. Florida made it interesting, but Georgia really responded in the fourth quarter. And then Georgia shut out Vanderbilt, uh, annihilated Oregon, which is looking like a great one now, shut out Sanford. And uh, almost every opponent that they played, seven points to South Carolina. So, Georgia, I have there too. And one's Tennessee. Tennessee has the best offense in college football, period. No doubt about it. Hendon Hooker is the Heisman favorite. Book it. He's been great. Just beat Kentucky. They beat Alabama. They annihilated LSU. They beat Florida. Beat Pitt. I mean, Tennessee has been phenomenal this year. Now, it's to me their last test of the regular season coming up against Georgia. To me, these are my two top teams in college football playing against each other this weekend. Going to settle that to me. Whoever wins this game will be number one. No matter where Ohio State is, you're not going to put Ohio State two. Georgia wins, they'll leapfrog them to one. Tennessee wins, they'll stay there at one. Uh, This is going to be a truly great game. I'll have my game pick tomorrow. So those are my top 10 teams in college football right now. Utah, UCLA, Oregon, Bama, Clemson, TCU, Wolverines, Ohio State, Georgia, and the Tennessee Volunteers.
Now moving to some NBA. I wanted to react to this. Nets firing Steve Nash. Now they want to say mutually part ways, you know, it's a mutual agreement, mutual, 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 mutual insurance. You can hype that up to me all you want, but I don't think it was very mutual. I think this was a departing. This was Sean Marks, Joe Sy calling Steve Nash in and saying you're relieved of your duties. Steve Nash not fighting it. So if you want to call that mutual, you go ahead. Uh, but I don't think Steve Nash initiated the conversation like, uh, maybe I should quit. Maybe you guys should let me go. And Joe Sy and Sean Marks were like, yeah, that's fine. You know what's funny also about this organization? Almost every other owner of the NBA outside the Nets I really can't own. You know, I know Jeannie Butts and Warriors, uh, Jacob Lakeup guy. Uh, but a lot of the owners you don't really hear a lot about. But I feel like I've heard the names Joe Sign and Sean Mark so many times uh, throughout this whole off-season and this NBA season so far. It's crazy. Uh, but not only this firing, but this organization, this Brooklyn Nets organization, is an absolute embarrassment to all association uh, NBA teams. Uh, they take the top spot. It was the Phoenix Suns had Sarver in the allegations there. He was working on selling of a team. It looked like a dark cloud over there. And the Brooklyn Nets said, hold my beer. We'll keep on doing idiotic things because we are the Brooklyn Nets. They fire Steve Nash. Then they plan on hiring Ime Udoka. That's not finalized yet. Who was serving a one-year suspension with the Boston Celtics. Of course, he'll be able to coach now. Uh... But he has his own baggage to deal with there. So that's awkward in of itself. Ben Simmons has looked absolutely terrible this year. KD doesn't play defense. Kyrie has anti-Semitic issues that he says that he's not apologized for, but he says he he has a responsibility or he cannot be anti-Semitic. He just can't be. It's huh, He can't be. It's It's crazy. It's, you know... I can't be, I don't even know how to make an analogy right now, uh, for that off of my top of my head that's, you know, not a good one. It's like some guy saying, you know, I can't be a, a robber, and then he goes into Walmart and he robs something, and they ask him about it. He's like, well, are you sorry for what you've done? I can't be a robber. It's, that makes no sense. It's, are you sorry? Are you offering apologizes? No, I can't be this. It's, uh, Kyrie's off his, off his rocker there. Uh, the Nets organization, it's a clown show led by Sean Marks and Josiah. It's trickled down. The whole thing is clowny. They haven't been playing well. Uh, they're 2-6. and six. They've been atrocious uh, to start the season. To me, they're the laughingstock of the NBA. It's, we were focused on Russell Westbrook and his terribleness and then the Suns and their issues, but the Nets always find something every week to keep content going, keep content created, and 
keep people from not liking the Nets. And even with Steve Nash gone, issues are not being fixed. They're not fixing Kyrie and his personal issues that somehow always seem to drag the team down. And it affects his play, obviously, too. I think four points he had against the Bulls, uh, which was pathetic. Uh, Ben Simmons, they're not going to affect him and his ability to not be able to shoot the ball at all. And then the rest of his team outside Kevin Durant. So you can bring Ime Udoka in. The Nets go from a first-round exit to, to me, a second-round exit. So congratulations to them. You guaranteed a farther playoff, you know, week by one. That's all you're going to get because I'm watching some other teams in the East right now, and I'm liking them a lot more. Giannis and the Bucks have beat them. They're 7-0. The Bucks have been playing great. Cleveland, I like a lot that win over Boston. Yesterday was terrific. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Uh, just the way that team plays, they're great. Boston, to me, is still stronger than the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Chicago Bulls, Philadelphia, who knows with James Harden now, his foot injury. I hope he comes back because he was playing good. Toronto's playing good. Miami, this isn't a cakewalk. This isn't a cakewalk to the finals. There's teams better than the Nets. Nets will be exposed. They ain't making it to the conference finals. Guarantee that one. And then lastly, World Series is tied to a piece. My prediction before the playoffs started, I said the Astros were going to beat the Braves. Uh, my NL was a little rough. My NL was much stronger. Uh, I'm still picking the, I'm still, you know, Still have the Astros winning. I would prefer the Phillies to win, obviously, uh, because I'm not an Astros fan. Don't like their previous cheating app uh, instances, even though we don't cheat anymore. Uh, but to me, this Game 5 is huge. To me, it's more of a must-win for Philadelphia. And I'm kind of expecting Philadelphia to win. I know Houston's a favorite, Philly's the underdog. But I think Philly's going to bounce back in Game 5. To me, there's a couple things going for him. Justin Verlander is 0-6 in World Series games. However great he's been for the regular season, even postseason, when you isolate him down to the World Series, he hasn't been very good. Noah Syndergaard, starting tonight for Philly, his first World Series starting appearance. I don't expect him to go deep. I expect the bullpen to come in early and relieve him. But this is also the last World Series home game. For Philly, the first one, it was rowdy. It was 7-0 Philadelphia, home run after home run. Then last night, they get shut out. It's actually a no-hitter. I expect the Phillies to respond. I expect this crowd to be electric, just buzzing before the first pitch. And I expect Philadelphia to win. And that sets up, you know, a critical uh, game five, game six and game seven, both of them in Houston this weekend. But I expect this World Series to go seven games. That's what, at least what I think. It's been great. Bryce Harper has been sensational. Kyle Schwarber has been just as good. This Phillies team has been fun to watch. This is the Phillies I was expecting to see beginning of the year. Last year with this talent. But something clicked after firing Joe Girardi. 
Sorry, Joe Girardi. Uh, but the Phillies have been been tremendous. Uh, or two and two. Or the series is tied two and two. But this has been unbothered. I'm happy to be back. Eagles Texans tonight. World Series tonight. I'm going with the Eagles. I'm picking them. Who do you got? Eagles Texans. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.